This week on An Hour With Flower, I'm joined by someone who's medalled at the Youth Worlds, came 38th at the Senior Europeans this year, and she's also studying psychology at Bath. I'm of course talking about Daisy. Daisy, how are you? Hi Ben, yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm alright. It's a bit cold this time of year, isn't it? Just a little bit. But but, you've had a good Christmas, I hope, and looking forward to New Year? Yeah, it was great. Um, Got to spend it with my family, which is really lovely, um, because there are four of us kids, so getting us all in one place is quite challenging. But yeah, it's been a really nice week. And just before this, me and Daisy were actually just talking about the first time we met, which was at the Newport Under-21 Worlds in 2017. And uh, it was a bit embarrassing, my situation, and I'm sure <laughs> Daisy will fill you in. Yeah, so um, it was the Under-21 Worlds in Newport, and I think um, Ben had had a bit of a nightmare with accommodation. I think Can a you- bit is an understatement <laughs> Did you, I think you just booked somewhere a little bit far away, didn't you? It was in a different country. <laughs> <laughs> Book, oh, booked no. the accommodation in Dunkirk, which is in France, if anyone doesn't know. I would love to say that we've all been there, but I just don't think we have. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think this was my first encounter with you, was you coming up to me and asking if I had a, had a um, spare bed for you to stay in, but... Unfortunately, I didn't, so you ended up camping, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, which, uh, that wasn't the most fun week camping I've ever had, but... That's right, you've, you've, got, to, you've got to have these experiences to learn, I guess. Yeah, you've, you've got to camp to realise that, to never camp again. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's not exactly ideal um, competition prep, I'd say. <laughs> definitely not. But you actually came quite different way into the laser radio you actually started sailing in cadets back in 2010 yeah um i started sailing at my local sailing club which is called watering field and we've got a pretty established cadet class here which is great um and so that was just like the natural boat to come into i mean i say that and like i honestly cadet days were like the best days of my life had so much fun um i got to sail with all of my siblings at some point um and I made great friends and yeah I had a great time but it was a it was definitely a weird transition to um quite an unusual one to move from a cadet into a laser radio and I don't think that many people have done it but yeah so in 2014 you sort of were debating what to move into because you were sort of looking for an RA pathway boat to go into and what ultimately made you decide the laser radio um I mean, uh, I never really crewed as a cadet sailor. I, I always sort of helmed. Um, I mean, even badly, to be honest. Like, I remember one of my first uh, memories in a cadet. We actually bought a £500 cadet, which is pretty cheap, off eBay. Um, 8449 was the number. I, I still remember. Um, and I just remember, like, having loads of fun, literally just sitting capsized with my friend Pip, who I was sailing with at the time. Um we used to tie ourselves on moorings and just sit on our capsized boat and like we didn't really care so much about the racing but yeah I always felt more at home helming um and I think I really wanted to stay in the RWA pathway um so like around the age of 15 that was sort of the age to transition into either a radial or a 420 and and that was quite a difficult decision actually um for cadet sailors the 420 is a bit more of a natural fit like obviously it's a 
double-handed bow it's got three sails it's just a bit more similar um also one of my really good friends willow she asked me to be her crew which would have been really cool um so i did the 420 nationals and i loved it like it's a really special class and it was loads of fun but i think ultimately yeah that ability to helm a, a radial was was what really drew me to it um i would have been too big to helm a 420 um so yeah that's how i got into it really so crewing was sort of the option in the 420 then yeah i think like i'm i'm fairly tall um and i think to be a 420 helm you have to be not you have to be short but you have to be quite light i'm a bit heavier i'm like sort of the ideal weight for a radio and and people have told me as well like oh you do really well in a laser radio like that seems like such a good fit for you um and when i sold a laser like down at my local club like really really loved it um they're such fun boats and and i think as well like how close the competition is in this fleet like that's a really really like appealing aspect to it like i don't think you get um as good racing in a lot of different fleets so that was another thing which was definitely appealing to join the class so you joined the class in 2014 do you remember the first sort of event that you went to? Um, I do. Um, well, first of all, I did the um, Youth Nationals. They were in Weymouth in 2014, um, and they were windy. <laughs> and I remember being, honestly, just walking around the dinghy park being like, these people are all so amazing. Like, how am I ever going to get as good as them? And, and, I mean, hiking, just hiking alone. I don't think I even owned hiking pads at this point. <laughs> Um, so that was like a big wake up call and it was quite daunting, but also really enjoyed it. I think the challenge of it and how different it was and how much there was to learn, like was really cool. Um, so that was my first event. And then I actually did some qualifiers that year as well. Um, and I really remember the first, one of the first qualifiers, qualifiers I did was in Plymouth and, um, my dad, actually, weirdly, my dad actually broke down on the way like driving there um so we had to call my grandma to come and pick me up and take me the rest of the way and I was 14 at the time and I really didn't know know what I was doing at all like literally needed my dad to help me rig this boat <laughs> I just remembered having no idea what I was doing but it was quite funny well, um, Plymouth Plymouth's the opposite end of the country for you as well so I know I know <laughs> And I was like, oh, God, like, I'm just not ready for this. I need my parents. I can't do this alone. Um, so, yeah, that was a pretty fun experience. Not at the time, but looking back, it's quite funny. Um, and then, yeah, being out on the water. I mean, a radio is so different to a cadet. Obviously, it's single-handed. And, like, I remember seeing people, like, going downwind, doing, like, turns downwind and stuff. And I was just like what's everyone doing like why aren't they just pointing straight at the mark surely that's so much faster (laughs) and just being in like such awe of what these like the technique and stuff and just having no idea what i was doing so you had no idea about rule 42 or doing turns when you got yellow flagged yeah literally well none i just didn't know any of it like no it was more the like upturns and downturns like wriggling away downwind um I just, like, in a cadet, you just put the spinner up and you'd, like, head straight to the mark going downwind. So that's what I was doing in my radio. I was just letting my sail out and going. And these people would just be, like, upturning around me and, like, overtaking me. And I was like, honestly, what is going on? Um, so, yeah, that was quite funny. 
thoughts? Uh, that's great. I mean, I know personally, I remember sort of similar experience and getting yellow flagged for the first time and not knowing whether it was a one or two term penalty. So <laughs> <laughs> when you're first new into the class, you do have these experiences. But then moving forward from that then, obviously, you you know, you weren't at the front of the fleet immediately. What kept you, you know, just going, working hard to try and move forward in the fleet? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it was so challenging. Like, I moved into this class, and I, I was, first of all, I had no friends. I, I moved in completely alone, and, and there were so many people my age who obviously knew each other from oppies and toppers and 4.7s and, like, gone through the natural route up into a radial. And here I was, didn't know anyone. Dad was my best friend. And it was just, it was quite daunting. And yeah, I was coming dead last at qualifiers and in races and stuff. And I'd also just, you know, I'd come from a cadet where I was winning things. I like won the selected series and, and went to the world and, and was first girl there and, and things like that. And I, I literally came from the top all the way to the bottom. Um, and there were quite a few times where I was like, I just don't know if I can hack it. Like, it's so difficult. It's such a step up. Um, and I think the thing that made the biggest difference was like just people saying like really encouraging things, which they won't even remember saying it, but with me, it like really stuck. Um, I remember going to an open training and Tim Holtz was the coach. And I remember him coming up to me. I mean, he won't remember this at all, but I remember him coming up to me and saying, um, I can't believe you've come from cadets. Like cadet sailors are meant to be rubbish. Like you've, potential to be quite good and um I remember going to school on the Monday literally like ecstatic like oh my gosh that's so cool I can't believe he thinks that I could actually be really good and and yeah just I think people who you look up to saying like really nice things just to encourage you along the way um is just such a motivator and really helped me stick at it which is really great I think that's a huge point to make is it could be quite demoralizing where you even if you've moved from the 4.7 up to a radial or radial to a standard, but moving from another class where you've been, you know, at the front of the fleet to then not at the front of the fleet, it can be quite demoralising. And those little bits of encouragement can really just, you know, keep you motivated to move forward. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think as well, to be fair, I mean, it was that, and it was also like there was quite a lot of excitement around sailing this new boat. There was so much to learn. It was so obvious to me at that first event like how much progress there was to make and I quite liked that challenge like that was quite exciting to me and and just being able to see how far I could take it and see if I could get any good and like actually now looking back like it makes me feel quite proud like looking back and seeing like where I've come from to like where I am now and and how much learning has taken place and I think I would say now to to young people who are moving into the class and, and maybe are in a similar position where they're, you know, towards the back of the fleet and it can be quite demoralising, like, really stick at it and, and take it as, a, as an opportunity to learn as much as you can because, honestly, the gains that you can make in such a short space of time are huge and it's really, really cool to look back and see that. I think that's the biggest thing as well is that you everyone, I feel, will have a breakout at some point. You just don't know when it's going to come. So you just got to keep working as hard as you can in the hope that that breakout comes through. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm, yeah, I'm such a believer in, in putting the hard work and you'll see the good results come out of it. And, and whatever your goals are and whatever your aspirations are in the class, like, 
you can meet them if you really set your mind to it and and set those goals and and really look at how you're going to try and achieve it you know setting goals sometimes isn't good enough like you need to have a step step by step like process of how you're going to get there how you're going to make the gains and and how you're going to achieve what you want and talking about breakout sort of performances 2017 was a real breakout year for yourself yeah um yeah that was a really great year um ended up coming away with a um bronze medal at the youth worlds at the end of the year which was a really nice way to leave um that was my last year in youth so sort of leave the youth youths behind and and have a medal to show for it which was really cool and for people that don't know the youth worlds are in the radio and only one person from each country gets to go so it's kind of similar to the olympic selection process really yeah i get yeah i guess it kind of is and um so that i mean that in itself was a massive honor like being selected as as the female representative for the radio was really cool and and I, I think that's actually one of my proudest moments when I got selected. It was it was a really, really nice moment and I remember my dad and me um getting the email saying well, I got the email and I remember showing it to my dad and to be honest it's it was as much his achievement as mine because he's put a lot into this. For me, I mean I can't even count the number of hours he's spent in a car driving me around and and yeah, so that was quite a special thing. For, for anybody that knows you, Daisy, they'll also know your dad, who's also attended, <laughs> I think, every single qualifier that I've been to. He's a, a great fan of yourself and always uh, helping out. But we'll get on to him later because you've actually got a funny story to tell us later about that. <laughs> but the so to qualify for the Youth Worlds... Uh, the under twenty, uh, sorry, not the under twenty-one, the under nineteen open worlds for the radio were earlier on in that year. You had to qualify at that first, and it was quite tight by the by the end of the week. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. To be honest, Matilda Matilda Nichols, who's I mean, one, absolutely one of my best friends and now my training partner, we have a really great relationship and. And we've worked together for a long time, but she came into the class, I think, in the winter of 2016. And and the sort of that year had been quite nice. I was quite comfortable. Like Chloe, who was a year above me, had gone to the youth worlds before and she'd obviously aged out. So, and I was I was coming like first youth, youth girl at quite a lot of events and I was feeling quite confident that I was going to be selected. And, and that was really cool. That was sort of the aim, the goal for me. Um, and then I remember her coming and, coming to a qualifier and I think I mean I think she came second at her second qualifier or something ridiculous I mean who does that I don't know um and I just remember sitting there and being like oh god I'm actually gonna have to up my game so much um if I want to get selected for these youth worlds because this younger girl who's two years below me has just come out of 4.7s and I mean I think she medaled uh, the worlds and Europeans she obviously did very well and and actually that was probably the I don't think I would have um won a bronze medal without her because we really pushed each other and and having that like friendly competition and and really wanting to beat each other really like pushed us on to progress as much as we could um so yeah that was really cool and then the summer of 2017 was my last youth open youth worlds and they were in Medenblick in the summer um and me and Matilda actually finished ninth and tenth, but there was actually only one point between us. 
Um, and that was sort of bittersweet because that was really lovely. Like, we both come in the top 10, which was really cool and, like, a tribute to all the hard work that we put in. But, I mean, I think she was she was a bit gutted not to have got selected. She was beating me all week and I just managed to overtake her on the last day. But um, that's the nice thing about her being younger than me is that, obviously, she's managed to achieve so much as a youth um, anyway. So, yeah, she definitely... Um, pushed me to perform a lot better than I think I would have otherwise I think that's really good to have that you know you're both and I'm sure Matilda's the same that you know you probably push her just as much as she pushes you and to be training you know day in day out just having that somebody close to you that you know you have that friendly rivalry with but just pushing each other yeah I, I think it's it is really easy to take it too far I mean there have been times that we've obviously argued and, and sometimes the competitiveness brings out the worst in both of us but I think generally like you need someone who you need to have that competitive edge within, within a training group I think like I think the standard boys that's what's so great about them that's why they achieve so much is that they have they're really they're all great mates but they also just really want to beat each other and they are always looking to like get one up on the next one um and I think that's just how you become world class, really. 100%. But going back to the youth worlds where you medalled in China, what was it like? It's a, it's off continent, so it's massive language barrier. What what yeah. was that like? Yeah, uh, it was huge. I, I can't remember how many people were watching the opening ceremony, but... It, it was it was in, it was on um it was on an island called Sanya south of um mainland China, and it, there just seemed to be so many people who were just so interested. I think they hyped it up as such a big deal, and um there was like a five to ten minute walk between the hotel we were staying at and the um and the boat park. I actually remembered like remember like being asked to take photos, and I remember like the first time. Being like, of course I'll take a photo of you. I like tried to take their phone to take a photo of them in front of the water. And they were like, Oh no, no, like we want a photo with you, like can you get in the photo with us? And I was like, Oh god, this is like celebrity status. That's a um, surreal maybe, experience to have at such a young age. I know. I think maybe it maybe it had something to do with them um, being ginger and <laughs> maybe them not having that many redheads <laughs> in China. <laughs> but yeah, that was really cool. Um but a really entertaining week. There were, as there always are in big competitions, some mess-ups and some things which you just had to, you know, bounce back from and, and deal with. Um, the day we, well, the day we arrived, it was actually 3am in the morning. Um, and it turns out the hotel had booked us accommodation for the night of the day that we were arriving and not the night before. So we didn't have accommodation when we arrived. And I remember James Gray, who was the head coach, like walking out on these on the phone, like going to all the hotels like outside the airport and trying to get us in somewhere. But obviously there were like twenty of us. So there was no space anywhere. We actually ended up sleeping on the um on the Chinese airport floor. Um, which is not ideal preparation for probably the biggest event of my, you know, sailing career at that point. But I think, yeah, it was just dealing with the challenges. Ben Whaley was the um, 
boy from the laser radio and and i remember sitting sitting there with him just saying to ourselves like this is character building like there's no point getting down about it we've just got to bounce back from it and try and get rest where we could and and then come out fighting for the competition which you know you ended up doing but getting back to that the airport it's it's exactly not what you want at all to, Especially when you've been, um, you been just, travelling for hours and you're jet lagged and yeah, it was definitely not ideal. Um, coming into an event, a, you want as little stress as possible, and that's exactly being in an airport at the best of times is stressful. Let alone not having any accommodation. So you must be quite good at dealing with those stressful situations. Then, to be honest, airports are my least favourite environment ever. I find them so stressful i think there's something about having a real time deadline where you have to be there on time otherwise the plane will literally leave without you um so maybe that's haunted me a little bit a little bit of um ptsd but yeah it it was just it it was no one's fault you know you couldn't blame anyone for it no no one could do anything about the situation we just had to deal with it and um we were lucky enough to have i think it was three days after that to to then become comfortable in the environment and get over that little mishap so but yeah it's definitely not ideal but I think that's a big lesson is that you can plan as much as you possibly can but things can still go wrong and it's how you react to that which will then show in your result like you can't let it dictate we couldn't let it dictate the rest of the week you know we had to then refocus and and focus on getting the results that we wanted so that was a big learning point. Especially a year like we've had, where you plan for events and they get cancelled. Yeah. You know, you've got to deal with, with that. And, you know, it sounds like you've been in those situations. And I think, personally, if you have an experience like that when you're younger and you just learn to actually, it's not a big deal, let's move on from it, and you learn from it. When the, you know, later in your life, when the results and you know, the competition becomes more important. When something smaller like that happens, it doesn't seem that bad. You know how to deal with it and you know how to improve, you know, so it doesn't happen again sort of thing. Yes, that's so true. And I think I think as well, like, having a bit of sense of, sense of humour about it, like, we could have, you know, gotten really frustrated and annoyed and... But that, it, you know, that wasn't going to help anyone. And, and, you know, I think we ended up just laughing about it. And I look back now and, and find it really funny because, you know, what what could you do? I did not see that happening. And, and you're completely right. Like, having dealt with big problems like that, stuff that happens now, which is smaller, you just know that you can deal with it and, and just laugh it off and, and remember to refocus on the racing because that's what you're there to do. You're there to perform. 100% and then so moving forward so that was December of 2017 and then going into 2018 you were sort of then focusing on your A-levels you were telling me beforehand how how did they yeah. go in the end you must have been all right to get to Bath University yeah no they went really well um I think actually I was really surprised at, at what I managed to get which was um which was really great but yeah I'm, I'm studying at Bath now and I think at the time, I, I took a little bit of a step back from my sailing to really focus on work. And and that's been a big thing now is obviously I'm at uni and I'm balancing both being in the British sailing team and, and trying to get a degree as well. And it can be really challenging at times. It feels like you're sort of sacrificing both and, and maybe you're not doing either as well as you might want. But I think just 
planning and, and knowing what your priority is for different parts of the year has really helped me and that was a big thing that I learned from doing my A-levels was that yes I wanted to be on the water and yes I wanted to be training and, and making all the gains that I could but at that time the right thing was to stay at home and study and and the sailing could wait and, and that was going to happen later on that summer. So even though you were studying for you know your A-levels you still got a phone call from Tim Hall asking if you wanted to take part at the Senior World Championships in Aarhus that year? Yeah, um, so that was that was a pretty special event because it was um, a World Championships where all the classes came together. So it was it was huge. There were so many people there. And, and I remember, you know, obviously you stalk all the good guys on their Instagrams and stuff. And I remember turning up to the boat park and being like, oh, cool, so that's Marit and that's Paige and that's Anne-Marie. And... Um, that was the first time I, you know, lined up on a start line against all those girls. And and it was such a great opportunity. I absolutely loved it. And and also, I think there were a few races where I was up there and I was I was around in the women mark in really good positions. And that, for me, was like, OK, wow, like, we could do this. This could be really cool. And, and it was just, like, little glimpses like that where you see where you could get to really sort of motivates me to keep working and, and try and progress up the fleet. It's quite daunting, isn't it, when you first line up on the start line with all those big names, but like you yeah. said, you've just got to enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's so, I mean, to be honest, sailing is such a unique sport in that regard because other sports, you don't get to line up against the people who are going to the Olympics. Sailing's really unique in that nature. and, and But that's so cool. Like, you get to line against the gold medalist when do you ever get to do that and and it can be really scary but it's also exciting and and again it's just sets it it sets the um standard of where you need to get to and and it means that you can see where you need to where you need to you know improve 100 percent. so then 2019 you've you've finished your a-levels you've you're at bath university but then 2019 first proper year on British sailing team and you've you know done a full, sort of full calendar year now on the sort of international yeah. circuit what what was your favorite event of last year oh um I think results were oh well Kiel I came ninth and that was my first I got to do a medal race which is my first ever medal race so that was really cool um I really enjoyed it that was really fun um managed to not come last in the medal race which was surprising but happy with that there were some good um, girls in that in that top 10 as well yeah there were there were some really good girls and that was sort of the, one of the weeks where I came away being like feeling really good and, and really motivated and, and you know really wanting to progress from there and I think as well Palmer I had that same feeling like I think I literally scraped gold fleet by like two places or something um but yeah, that was my first Palmer, and I was really, really happy to to have made Gold Fleet. And also, Palmer's a really cool place, except for cycling up Randa. Maybe <laughs> it's not so fun. Well, yeah, there's there's so much to do off the water, and cycling is one of those activities you can do off the water. And you you were telling me before your first ride was actually <laughs> up Randa, which, if people don't know, it's a, it's a mountain. It is a mountain, but I was told it was a hill. 
I really was. I told it was a small hill. And I went with, um, I mean, it's classic Penny Clark, isn't it? I went with Penny, George and Clemmy, who were my training partners at the time. And um, yeah, literally, I think I just bought cycling kit. Didn't have any proper shoes. Was renting a bike. I really didn't even know how to change gears. And like, I remember getting to the bottom of Randa and just literally looking straight up and being like, you've got to be joking. Like, we are not going up there. <laughs> I think I got dropped within the first um, 10 seconds, but it's nothing like being chucked in at the deep end, is there? <laughs> no, but it is great cycling out in Palmer. Did you do any yeah, more cycling out there? Or was, did that put you off or did that keep you wanting more? Oh, I love it. I love it now. I think I was scarred for maybe like two weeks. I couldn't get back on the bike for a bit. I needed I needed some recovery time. But, <laughs> but now, yeah, I mean... I, I got into it actually really late, but I think it's great fitness and it, it's really great for it's really great to have something like that where you can take a bike to all these international events that you go to and, and on days off you get to go exploring, going cycling and that's really cool. Um and then we were actually lucky enough, me Matilda and I to be in Palmer just before um Corona sort sort started um kicking off and, and we got to do loads more cycling and went up Randa again and actually didn't have to stop five times like the first time so that was really nice I, I know I was deeply disappointed this year by not you know getting to go to Palmer with you know coronavirus coming hitting out because partly just down to the cycling it's uh stunning there but also yeah, the, it's, it's gorgeous but also the sailing is equally you know lovely you get a range of conditions and you actually like you said had a very good result getting into golf league. Was that also your first senior golf league? Yeah, that was my first senior golf league, um, which was really cool. And and yeah, like you say, like Palmer. Honestly, if if people have the chance to go there, I'd really recommend it. It's it's a really great place. There's a really nice frozen yogurt place on the seafront, which I've become a regular customer at. <laughs> but yeah, would really recommend it. It's really lovely there. It's a so that's sort of the start of the sailing season in a way March yeah. Palmer comes along your next event was in Genoa is that right the sailing world cup in Genoa yeah yeah I think I think that's right and um very light wind event yeah actually 2019 was a great year for highlighting some weaknesses that I really needed to work on I think Genoa and also the under 21 worlds were both really light events um and I didn't perform as well as I would have liked, but you know these things happen, and, and it's learning, learning, and seeing where you can improve from to make sure it doesn't happen again. And, and that really highlighted that light winds was an area that I needed to work on. And, and this winter, I really got to do that, so that's really great. A hundred percent. And would you say that's now down to you know that's a weakness of yours, so you're trying to put more time into trying to do the light wind stuff? Yeah, I think. One thing that I've massively learned since being in the in the team is is having a review process in place. Um, I think as a youth, I didn't have any review process, I don't think. I just turned up an event, sailed the best that I could and came away and then went to the next one. And, and actually, I think that was a massive opportunity that I missed out on was that reflection period and looking back and being like, OK, so that day I didn't get the results that I wanted. Why was that? Was that conditions? Was that strategy like what exactly was going wrong there and 
and 2019 yeah it was a great year for highlighting that that light wins needed to be worked on and actually rather than thinking thinking of it as a weakness you know it highlights an area that you need to improve on and if you put the work in that can actually become a strength um so we're getting there i mean there's still work to be done um but i'd like to think i'm in a much better position now than i was then which is great would you put the light wins down to something earlier on in your life or would you say that you've just enjoyed hiking more yeah weirdly even when i sell clairs i always did better when it was windy and we were talking about it earlier i mean i it sounds ridiculous i just really enjoy the windiest stuff and hiking and i mean hiking hurts we all know it hurts it hurts if you're bad at hiking it hurts if you're good at hiking the pain doesn't change um and to be honest i kind of love it because if you're if you're racking up next to someone on the start line and it's windy you know that if you just put in more effort and you want it more than the person below you you're gonna roll them and it's just a mindset thing and um yeah so i think i've always been a little bit more favored towards the big wind but um i really want light winds to become a strength of mine so we'll see how that goes I mean, you're one of the only people that actually enjoy hiking, by the sounds of it. But like you said, the fittest person in the fleet tends to be the person leading at the windward mark in the, the windy stuff. And that's why you put in the time in the gym, time on the bike, you know, to be quick in the stronger stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is what we do the physical training for. This is why we spend so many hours in the gym and so many hours when it's three degrees and we're on bikes outside because we're in tier four like that's what we do it for to to be able to lead at the women mark when it's breezy and and that's really nice because you get to see like the direct advantages of just really put putting the work in um i think as well like it's a mindset thing i remember one of my old coaches martin boatman um once said to me that your mind quits way before your body which i think is is definitely true like i think you know if you stop hiking you could always your body could always do more it's it's your mind telling you that you're tired and you've had enough and you've you've worked too hard and and you need a rest and i think if you can train your mind to be able to you know withstand the pain and sort of a mind over matter approach then you can be really fast in those conditions uh, i think that's 100 percent i agree with you there it's um your body sort of goes into that survival mode and it's it's telling you i can't keep up with this intensity but that sort of your mind's telling you that it can't keep up with that intensity for another you know half an hour or so which it probably can't but it can still go for another five minutes or so yeah because a race is an hour and and you know you can push if the girl next to you can do it so can you yeah. uh, or the guy um and yeah it's just about who wants it more i think at the end of the day that's a unique part actually you've just mentioned about something i've never experienced i've never raced against you know women i've never sailed in a radio or anything what is it like racing against boys and girls in the same fleet um <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. It is funny. It's funny because um, you really want to beat the boys. You just do. <laughs> um, I actually remember my when I first went to East Squad and um, 
turning up for my first youth squad weekend and and at the time I was terrified. The boys in the squad were like Dan Whiteley, Jake Farron Price, Lewis Smith, Jamie Calder. Like to me, they were like giants of the fleet and really cool and really good. But trust me, Dan's not that cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, I mean, because sometimes the boys are heavier than you, so sometimes they're going to beat you when it's windy. But I think you know ha- it sort of motivates you to really want to push and like be as good as them, which is really cool. Um, and we've had Sam drop into a radio a couple of times on our training recently, which has been really nice because um, it's really nice to roll him, you know. <laughs> roll, rolling Whaley on the daily. Exactly. He'll hate me for saying it, but, you know, it's the truth. <laughs> you've, you've, got, you've got to put it to guys now and again. Exactly. Got to put them back in their place. Hundred percent. Going back though to last year, so we briefly talked about your medal race in Kiel, and um, we've also mentioned about we had a funny story to tell about your your dad and put another <laughs> oh, stressful <yes>. situation <laughs> for yourself. Oh God! Even looking back now makes me laugh. Um, I mean, we were so lucky to get to go to Kiel because it was at a time where you know, coronavirus rates were a bit lower and and we were really lucky that the event went ahead because there hadn't been an international event for months. Sorry, yeah, I've I've got the wrong year, haven't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) This this happened this this year. year. Yeah, yeah. Still a funny story there. Yeah. We'll tell it anyway. Um, um, So, yeah, we were really lucky to go and unfortunately our coach, James Gray, wasn't able to attend, but my dad, being the trooper that he is, volunteered to take um, me... Molly, Saka and Matilda Nichols out to Kiel and he also took a rib so he was going to be our unofficial coach for the week um, so yeah that was a really great thing to have done I mean creds to dad for taking us he might have had no idea what he was doing but it was fun um, I think on the first or second day I can't remember He's never towed lasers before, and anyone who has towed lasers before will know that it's not usually the best idea to pick someone up going downwind on a tow, especially if you go to leeward of them rather than leeward of them. But, um, yeah, Dad didn't know this at the time, despite me trying to shower him to head up. Um, so he tried to pick Matilda up by going to leeward of her going down, when she was going downwind, and her name she ended up getting wrapped around the throttle of the rib and... She ended up shooting in, shooting in and pulling the throttle out. <laughs> and um, yeah, anyone who's been to Kill will know that it could be quite a long sail out to the um, race course. Or a long so, tow, um, even even a long tow. Yeah, it, well, yeah, it was a long tow with the speed we were going. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, at the time it was really stressful. I remember like dad was trying to, to fix the rib and he was being like, go, go. And I was just like shoving snacks in my life jacket. Not just for me, for Molly and Matilda as well, because they'd already gone. And I was just like, we need sustenance, we need food. Um, but now you look back and you've got to laugh. And I, th- I think that's a big thing. Like Having a sense of humour about this sort of thing is quite important. Yeah, and like you said, in Kiel, anybody that hasn't been, make sure you take out more food than you think is adequate because knowing Long Kiel, days. it's going to be an hour sail out minimum and then they'll probably put in four races in 30 knots just for the fun of it and then you've got to sail in for an hour and a half so 
that, that's it's, the big it's, thing. It's definitely not one for the faint-hearted, but it's a no. great event. And and in 2019, when coronavirus didn't exist yet, it was really lovely because there were like all these little stands and stuff that you could go and have your waffles after sailing and and get a beer if, if you were feeling up to it. But um, yeah, it's a great event to go to. Yeah, it is a great event and. In actual fact, that was twenty nineteen. Was I think the first warm time I've been to Kill. It's it's quite a cold venue normally, but yeah, twenty nineteen was a heat wave, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was it really was warm. Scorching. I remember there was one day and they postponed the racing because it was so hot. Yeah, it was like European heat wave. I remember packing up boats on the last day with Molly. And it was just horrendous. I don't think I've ever been so hot. Yeah. Um, I'm dehydrated because obviously <laughs> I've come off the water and classic me not had enough water out there. Um, and then this year it was pretty cold. Yeah, we're back to normal. Really. Yeah, back normal classic here. No, but it is a great venue and it's a great event, well organised as well. And but there was one time that this year where you got to out to the start line and another stressful moment for yourself and you're like is that is that all the radials lining up to start you thought <laughs> you still got your coat on and everything oh yeah so um so obviously we we'd gone out without james so we were coachless and that's not an excuse we should have you know been our own coaches which was what the plan was but um I think with everything being on Zoom, the coaches' briefing was on Zoom, it, it was a bit stressful and we were trying to leave on time, etc. And, and we managed to miss the coaches' briefing, which I can tell you now is not a good idea. <laughs> um, it was the second day, and because you boys have been messing about so much on the first day, um, they moved the radials to the first start rather than the third start. But we didn't know this, so we launched, we had loads of time, we were we were very happy. We were chilling about, ready to watch us. St- I was at the pin, you know, fiddling about with clothing, making sure it was the right temperature, and um, ready to watch the standards go off and, you know, watch watch what was gaining and, and see if I could learn anything from that. And suddenly I remember looking up and being like, why are there diamonds on the start line? Why are there radios on the start line? And it was literally like a, it was just suddenly like a moment, but like a, like a light bulb moment, like a light bulb suddenly went off in my head and I was like, oh my God, that's my start. Um, so yeah, I ended up racing towards the pin as fast as I could. I still have my coat and my water bottle in my bag and um, James Percival Cook, bless him because he didn't hear me, I was screaming at him, being like, James, James, pick up my coat because oh, God knows I was not going to race with my coat on. Um, he didn't hear me, so I ended up. So this, so one of the Guatemalan guys ended up being like, "Give it to me, give it to me, it's fine. I'll take your coat." Um, and yeah, I think I was twenty seconds late for the start line, but actually it was really funny because the the pin was really favoured, and um, so I started late at the pin, and Matilda actually managed to start. I mean, she was rushed, but managed to start on time at the starboard end. But because the pin was so biased, we actually were at exactly the same position halfway up the beat which is really funny um it's a never give up moment really well exactly i don't think that was even our worst any of our worst race which is just classic offshore keel but um yeah later on i was telling sam about how this poor guatemalan boy had to pick up my things 
And he just looked at me and went, you don't That poor Guatemalan boy came top 10 at the Rio Olympics. And I was like, oh, God, I'm just never going to live it down. The shame. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was funny. Now, stressful at the time, but definitely learned that um, if you're going to go to an event on your own, which is fine, there are definitely benefits to going without a coach and, and you learn to be more independent, but you have to be independent, which means turning up to the coach's briefing. I think that's huge. You just learn from these mistakes. You make mistakes, but you've got to move on from them. And like you said, yeah. you'll never make that mistake again. You you always pay attention to the coach's briefing. Yeah. Um, also, we were talking earlier, like when you're young and you've just come into the fleet, you look at the people who are in the team or the people who are at the front of the fleet and you think, God, they just don't make any mistakes. They never do anything wrong. And, and, that's not, and that can be quite intimidating, but actually... People make mistakes all the time. People make big mistakes like Keel or little mistakes like forgetting this and forgetting that. And it, and it's just making sure you don't make the same mistake twice and learning from it, which is really important. Now, when, when you're younger, were you always into sailing? Was that the main sport or were you into any other sports? Um, I, I mean, I loved sailing from the, from the start, although I do actually remember having meltdowns quite regularly when I was made to get into a soaking wet wetsuit at the age of like seven or eight um but yeah I I loved I loved school sport I think that was honestly one of the highlights of school was being part of team sports um I played hockey and I played netball for um Surrey for a year and also did a bit of water polo so yeah, done done quite a few sports and I guess always been fairly sporty but yeah, ended up committing to the sailing which has been really great. And sort of heading towards the end now, but this year's been quite a challenging year for everybody. What would you say you've done that's, you know, meant you've been able to keep up with your training, especially now that you're in tier four, am I correct in saying? Yeah. We are. I'm in Suffolk with the um, family at the moment. So yeah, got the um, BBC News alert that we were going into Tier Four, which is great. Uh, means that gyms are shut. You know that you are a sailor when the saddest thing is not the fact that you can't go and see your friends and go out for dinner, but the fact you can't go to the gym anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, or even worse, it, it, yeah, it's been it's been a really sorry. It's been a, it's been a really odd year. What do you say is the biggest um, thing that's meant you just kept motivated? I think, weirdly, like, lockdown one, where you were allowed to do your one piece of exercise a day, I really got into cycling from that. I think just because it was one thing that we were allowed to do. It was like, right, I can do one piece of exercise, so I'm going to make the most of that and make sure I do that every day. Um, so I was either cycling or running, just being outside, which is obviously harder to do now when it's cold and freezing and you've got reduced daylight although you can definitely get kit to sort you out with that but um yeah I definitely did a lot of cycling over lockdown and and just I think as well lockdown presented a really nice opportunity to to stop which we'd never do like it's always go 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 when's the next event what are we working towards you know when are we training and and we actually couldn't do any of that so it was a stop and reflect moment which actually I think weirdly was one of the best things that could have happened to me because I think 
I was moving at like a million miles per hour trying to juggle uni coursework deadlines and exams that were coming up and we were about to embark on our trip to Europe and Palmer and Hiaz and all these events which were going to happen um and it can be a lot to deal with sometimes and and yeah weirdly having that time to actually like take a step back and look at what you were trying to achieve and set really great realistic achievable goals um so yeah lockdown presented a great opportunity to do that and I guess now it looks like we're moving into a similar sort of situation with lots of people in tier four I would really try and make the most of this time to to really look at what you're trying to work on and set a plan I think if you put a plan in place there's no reason why you can't still progress especially on the fitness side there's so much you can do at home is you know we were saying earlier it's so annoying in the winter especially in britain the weather never (laughs) the weather's horrible light doesn't come until about nine o'clock in the morning and then it goes about three o'clock in the afternoon so you don't have that much daylight but you've just got to put the time in it's really it is really tough um especially during summer when you know i'd I'd do all my uni work and then i'd be at six i'd go okay i'm gonna go cycling now and it would be warm and it would be daylight and it was fine whereas obviously at six o'clock now it's pitch black and but you've got to just make the most of those productive hours that you've got and it's been the same with sailing um before christmas we were training in weymouth and we have been since we got out of the second lockdown and we've just tried to make the most of it and and try to be as productive as possible and actually we've gotten those out of it and it just shows you know when you really put your mind to it and there's no point sitting about and, and complaining about it we've just everyone's in a similar situation we've just got to deal with it and, and make the most out of it so moving forward what what are your plans for next year are you hoping to get abroad maybe in the winter months is that a possibility at the moment yeah i think um i mean we were planning to go we were planning to already be out but covid this new strain and also brexit may have postponed plans a little bit but um definitely trying to get abroad before Palmer and put some hours in um hopefully out in Villamora which would be lovely um feel like we've done our winter grind now in the cold so I'm definitely ready to move somewhere a little bit warmer but if we've got to stay in Weymouth in the meantime for you know because that's the safe thing to do that's just what we've got to do and and hopefully by spring things will let up a bit and we'll get to go to all these great international events and and get to compete which is obviously what we're all training for 100 percent. and if you can train abroad it's so much better than training in the uk and especially the january and february if you're sailing in that part of the year any any class you're sailing fair play i mean (laughs) the motivation to do it is you've got to dig deep yeah definitely um I, I felt I thought I put those you know days behind me when I was doing horrendous youth weekends where it was like 25 knots and it was like minus two and my fingers would go white because I was so cold but um, apparently not but yeah obviously it's ideal to go abroad but we'll just have to see what happens I feel like everything's always changing all the time so you've just got to be quite flexible and adaptable and again have a little bit of a sense of humor about it because if you take it too seriously you'll just get frustrated and and you've just got to take each day out as it comes and that's the thing really the whole podcast has been about is it's going to be another you know just dealing with that stress and dealing with 
the you know the change in plans you know you've got a plan in a way shorthand you can't plan too far ahead and set your goals too much because it might all get cancelled yeah and i think the way people deal with adversity i think that's what really makes someone you know sets someone above the rest is is how they react to it and i think covid's been a really challenging time for so many people and and you know it's just dealing with the situation and and trying to make the most out of it and like you said trying to trying to set realistic goals which you can achieve wherever you are is going to be really important for the following months i think when events get cancelled it can be real disheartening but you've just got to reset and be like okay well this is a new world we live in at the moment what's the next event or what's the next thing i can work towards yeah. or and I guess as well, like it's not it's not an injury. You know, you're not the only you're not the only person having to miss out on something. Everyone's in the same boat. Excuse the pun, but everyone's in the same position, and and it's just you know resetting and moving forward from it. Yeah, having an injury is a lot worse because you know everyone else is moving forward. But at this point, I think you can go. Actually, I can if I put the work in, I can put in more work than other people. And if you back yourself. You know, you'll come out on the other side a much better athlete than you were before. Yeah, it's quite a unique opportunity as well. Like, a lot of people will be really disheartened from things being cancelled and not being able to go abroad. And if you can look at it in a, in a positive way and get back on the water and keep pushing towards your goals, you're going to be, you're always going to be one up on the person who is sitting at home fed up because they're done with the situation. 100%. But... It's been great to talk to you, Daisy. So thanks for putting up your time. And hopefully everybody listening has enjoyed this episode of An Hour with Flower. But thanks again, Daisy. And best of luck with the 2021 season coming up. Thanks, Ben. This has been great. Thanks for having me. Make sure if you haven't listened to any previous episodes, make sure you give a few other of those a listen. There's been some great people that have already interviewed and there's plenty more people coming down the line so make sure you stay tuned for anything in the future but that's it for now thanks again goodbye